Hey, this is Paul Connor, pastor of City Baptist Church here in Vancouver. And I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast and just say thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. And we pray that the message encourages and inspires you today. To be honest with you, we find ourselves right now in a real discouraging season for many, many people, myself included. It's been challenging. Things are not as we would want them to be, um, but we still serve an unchanging God and uh, He can give us everything we need. So I hope to encourage you with this message today, God's plan for encouragement or for discouragement. And we're going to see that in 1 Kings chapter 19. I hope that you'll turn there with me today. Now, most of you who know me uh, know that I'm not the, necessarily the biggest movie buff in the world. Like I like to watch movies, of course, these days with my kids. I watch a lot of uh, kid movies and, and that's part of my life and that's fine. Um, but I, I'm not like a huge, you know, I can't tell you every actor and all the movies they've been and I'm not really that big into it. And to add to that, I often fall asleep whenever a movie's on. And so to me, that's a good thing. I catch a nap in the middle. There's many, many movies that I've seen the beginning and the end of. I have no idea what happened in the middle. Um, but uh, that's just sort of who I am and that's, uh, that's okay. Um, but one of the things that I do not like about movies is when uh, they just sort of end the movie with no resolution. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, I hate it when you're watching a movie and it's got this great story and everything's going good and then they just, sort of, they just sort of end it. Or maybe everything's going bad and they just sort of end it. And there's no resolution to it. There's no, uh, uh, there's no like adjustment or not, there's no like uh, bringing it all together so we understand like, okay, everything's going to be okay. And they just sort of leave it hanging. It's like the director just got tired and said, ah, we'll just cut it right here. Uh, forget about wrapping it all up. And the reason is because I like to see a happy ending. I like to see things come together. I like to see uh, you know, the evil defeated. I like to see them, uh, the, you know, finding true love and, and uh, enjoying their newfound wealth or, you know, the family is brought back together. I love those happy endings in it. And, and to, the reason I say that is because in our passage here, 1 Kings chapter number 19, uh, that's what you would expect to be happening. You would expect that chapter 19 would be sort of this happy ending to what just took place in uh, 1 Kings chapter number 18. Now, if you remember back with me, and maybe some of you heard this story, maybe you haven't. I'll give you a quick uh, little recap of it. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see an incredible showdown between the prophet Elijah, God's prophet, and 850 false prophets of the false god Baal. It was sort of this big showdown on Mount Carmel. There was 850 of the false prophets. And then there was, uh, of course, Elijah, the prophet of God, the one prophet of God. And it seemed like the odds were stacked against him. But in the end, we see God come through uh, for Elijah. I mean, if you've not read the story, go back and take a look at it. But 1 Kings chapter 18, it's amazing because it has everything that's necessary for a good story. Uh, for example, uh, there is, uh, there is uh, smack talking in that story. There's a lot of smack talk going back and forth. There is dancing. There is blood. <laughs> there is fire. There's all sorts of things in that story. And in the end, what we see is that God sends fire from heaven. He proves who he is. The people that are there repent and actually turn back to God. They proclaim him uh, as Lord. Elijah then takes care of all of those false prophets. And, uh, and then God sends rain to a land that had not had rain for three and a half years. And it was an incredible moment. And as you end chapter 18, you see the rain falling and you see Elijah running, falling following God's call. And to me, in my mind, that's the perfect place for the camera, you know, to kind of pan out a little bit. It's pouring rain for the first time. And there's Elijah, the hero, and he's running and it just starts rolling credits and everything's going to be great. God, you know, worked everything out, but that's what you would expect. But that's not what happens in this passage. 
what happens in this passage is that after this incredible high moment in the life of the prophet Elijah, we see him hit an incredible low right after that. Now, I think maybe some of you can relate to that today. You know what it's like to maybe be on a spiritual high or to go through a a season of life where it seems like, man, God is working things out and things are just coming together to immediately be followed up by an unexpected situation, a time of discouragement, them, a a time that is just so difficult. Personally, I'm also, personally, I'm very aware of this in my own life because I've experienced it over and over again. There may be a a good spiritual time or or growth within the church and and be ready because there's going to be a difficulty uh, coming. Uh, Even Jesus, if you remember that, after being declared the Son of God from heaven, immediately went into 40 days of tempting in the wilderness. Whenever someone gets saved, I often tell them if they're a new Christian, be prepared. Satan is going to begin to attack. He's going to begin to come after you. Now, this is what our passage deals with today. How do we handle then those low times? We know they're going to come. We know discouragement is going to come our way. We know that there's moments of depression that are going to come into our life. So how do we handle those times even when we're in the service of the Lord. Now, I include the word depression in that today, and I do it with, with a lot of care, just so you, just so you understand. Um, depression, of course, is a loaded subject matter. There's a lot uh, that surrounds it. Sometimes, certainly, people that are discouraged, uh, uh, people that are maybe say that they are depressed or simply maybe discouraged, they're going through a difficult time. Of course, we know there's others where it's a lot more deeply rooted than that. Others, there's clinical uh, situations, there's chemical imbalances that lead to those feelings. And so today is not uh, for me to uh, diagnose anybody or provide a solution for every situation, just so you know. Uh, This is not a wide brush of all things. However, I do believe in the study here that we're going to cover today of the life of Elijah, we'll discover a lot of helpful principles that I believe can encourage the discouraged today. I believe it can help change Uh, maybe your perspective on some of your feelings, and maybe even give you some hope for the future. And so let's go ahead and let's get into the passage for some context today. And I want to look at verse number one of 1 Kings chapter number 19. So remember, the whole thing had just happened at Mount Carmel, and here we go. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now, as we get into the passage, you read that first verse, immediately you expect uh, that some revolution will be taking place in Israel, right? I mean, Ahab told Jezebel everything that had happened, all the prophets are dead, uh, God sent down fire, and you would think, okay, this is the start of a revolution. People are going to realize that Ahab and Jezebel are wicked, and they need to uh, move them out of power and they need to get out of there. And you would expect that Elijah would be the hero. You'd expect that, you know, they would, uh, the crowds would be chanting his name and everywhere he went, thank you, you took down the evil leaders and, and uh, they'd give him his own, you know, reality TV show and, and all of this kind of stuff and all these good things would be happening for him. Uh, but there isn't any of that happening here in the passage. In fact, we see, go from verse number one, we are, uh, Ahab tells Jezebel what happened, what God did, and then immediately she puts a hit out on his head. She says, if, 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 it, if, if at anything at all, you are going to be dead by tomorrow, by this time. And so she puts this order in to kill him. And so we see Elijah go into hiding. Look at verse number three. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to, Jude, uh, to Judah. Now here's a key phrase. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree 
And here's the key part right here of this passage. He requested for himself that he might die. He requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. I think it is safe to say here that Elijah is depressed. (laughs) It is safe to say here that he is at a point of his life that I would not wish on anyone where he is at the point of his life where he is saying, God, I wish that I was dead. I wish that I did not have life any longer. And here's what took place here. Elijah, his things were not going how he had expected them to go. Sure, God had done a great thing, but following that, it hadn't gone how he had hoped for it to go. He was upset. Maybe he was upset at God here. It doesn't say that, but he was definitely upset so upset that he says, I just wish I were dead. Now, before you jump to any conclusions about Elijah or try to diagnose who he was or what he was about, we have to realize he was a man just like you and I are. In James chapter 5 and verse number 17, it tells us that Elias, which is uh, the New Testament rendering for Elijah, was a man who was subject to like passions just as we are. And, and the thing we have to remember, church, is that discouragement, depression, uh, being down in our emotions and in our feelings is part of the human experience. You've heard me reference many times uh, Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher from the past, and God really used him and accomplished a lot of things with his life. But the story is told of when he became the pastor in London of Newport uh, Street Chapel, the church just exploded in growth. This was before the the mega church movement like we see today, where they would have over 10,000 people that would come out to hear him preach. Even though things were going good and they had to find new venues for all of these people to come and hear the message every week, He was still constantly berated by attacks, just over and over. People would attack him and accuse him of things and question his motives. And I mean, all sorts of uh, things that would happen, all kinds of nasty attacks. One of the people that disliked him so much even took it upon themselves to cause a problem. And what they did is in uh, in a service. And by the way, he would speak to 10,000 people without the aid of a microphone, (laughs) Imagine that. He would preach to those many, that many people. And one day, some, one of his enemies decided to cause a problem. So what did they do? What was the scariest thing in London in the uh, late 1800s was fire. And they yelled, fire, fire, in the middle of one of his services. And a stampede broke out. People trying to get out uh, of the building. And seven people were trampled and killed as a result of that situation. Charles Spurgeon, as a result of that tragedy, fell into Great Depression that he really never recovered from throughout his life. I mean, everything was going well. He was preaching the word. People were coming to Christ. Things were happening there in London. And then this unexpected setback, this difficult situation, and it just sent him into a spiral of depression. Maybe some of you can relate to that. You've gone through your life and maybe up until this time, things have been going okay. It hasn't been a, you know, many terrible situations, not a lot of things, just regular trials of life. But then that setback, that difficulty, that unexpected diagnosis, that trial that you just never expected would be coming your way. That's where we see Elijah at right now. And he is discouraged. He is despondent. He would say he is depressed. He doesn't even want to continue to go on living. This is the prophet of God who just saw God do something incredible But what we see next is that God is not going to leave him alone, just like he doesn't leave us alone in our times of discouragement. In verse number five, we see, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water 
at his head, and he did eat and drink, and he laid him down again. We see here an angel sent to him by God, and the thing is, angels are always on assignment. Angels are not just floating around looking for problems and then reporting back to God. God sent him specifically, and specifically went there to help, uh, help Elijah. He came there and he brought him some food. He brought him uh, encouragement, I believe. And then we see Elijah just simply went back to sleep. Then we come to verse number seven. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. He went on the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. That's some serious protein right there. Look at verse number nine. And he came thither to a cave. So he comes to Mount Horeb and he came to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in this cave? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God sends help to Elijah during this time of depression. And I want you to notice how God approaches him. And he approaches him in three different ways. First of all, he approaches him in a physical way. He brings him food. The, the angel touches him. He, he sleeps. Then there's a spiritual approach with that. And he deals with his wrong view about God. And then there's a psychological approach where God then listens to him and asks him questions and wants to hear his feedback. Now, just understanding those three ways real quickly here, physically, spiritually, psychologically, is a way that we can understand and a way that we can uh, help to understand a better approach to discouragement and depression in our lives. Now, there's three different outlooks here that I want to just break down real quickly. First of all, I talked about the idea of physical. Now, a lot of people believe that the body is strictly physical. And so anytime that someone is depressed, anytime someone is discouraged or just not feeling great, they prescribe a, a, a physical remedy for that. Maybe emotionally they're having a hard time, and so they prescribe to them, hey, well, maybe you need to remove some things from your life that might cause you to get to that position. Maybe you should need to just take some time off. You need to uh, relax a little bit. You need to get rid of anything or anyone that's causing you stress in your life. You just need to remove them from your life. In other cases, they'll say, well, if you take this pill, then you know that'll help you feel better, and that is the physical solution for a strictly physical problem. That's the way some people view life. Other people view it, uh, the body and, and, and the person as strictly a spiritual being. Now, these people view it in the sense that if you were depressed and having a hard time, they would say, hey, just show some faith. <laughs> just show some faith. Hey, why don't you uh, listen to this message uh, on, on, on the podcast? Or uh, why don't you uh, just quit sinning? They'll say, just get over it. Come on now. Uh, you just need to trust God. Th those kind of people would also believe that if you take a medication or you identify like a physical cause for depression or discouragement, that that would be betraying to your faith. And it's because they have a strictly spiritual approach to that. And they think that, oh, you're just, it's just a spiritual thing. Then of course, the third way to view it is in a psychological way, which is, hey, you just need to talk it out. That's all you need to do. You just need to talk it out and, and uh, work through it and build through all those, get through all those layers and you'll figure everything out. Here's what I want us to notice. God approached this in all three of those ways. Did you see that? God approached it in three different ways. And it's because God made us a psychosomatic being. We are not just a soul, but we are a soul that is united to the body. And we cannot just separate those two. And so we see God, first of all, minister to Elijah physically. Here's the thing, church. Sometimes you just need to take a nap. 
<laughs> Some of you, put amen in the chat right there if that's you. Sometimes you just need to rest a little bit. Sometimes you need to go away. You need to go take a vacation. You need to get away with your spouse. You need to find a place where you can rest and read a good book. And I would say not just read, you know, how not to be depressed. Like read a book uh, that is just maybe just is, is uh, entertaining to you. Just bring some joy to your life. You got to think about Jesus in Mark 6, verse 31, where he said, uh, he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. There's, there's this biblical principle for rest and for uh, um, getting uh, that time that you need for your physical body to just uh, rest a little bit. It was at the height of World War II that Winston Churchill, who of course had a lot of responsibility and had an unbelievable amount of stress on him, he would often find times to step away to read a novel or to watch a movie. It was his way of dealing with the incredible pressures that he was facing. And so we see God ministering to Elijah physically, brings him food. He, he, he says you need to rest and he, and he sleeps. But we also see him ministering to him psychologically. He comes to him and he asks him questions and he allows Elijah to talk. And Elijah talks about his feelings. You know, the book of Psalms, if you're ever going through a difficult time, the book of Psalms is a great example to us of how uh, we can pour out our difficulties and pour out our, our emotions uh, to the Lord. You know, just because we're godly doesn't mean that we don't have emotions. And we must be aware, of course, we need to be aware that they are the right emotions, that they're not sinful or they're not uh, uh, um, uh, maybe uh, uh, for a personal or a selfish reason. Our emotions typically, as we know, are not necessarily good or bad, but they are indicators of what is going on inside of us. Of course, yes, expressing, you can express sinful emotions, definitely. But our normal first thought is that we should begin to, uh, the way we should approach it is we should be willing to talk to somebody about that. You notice here what Elijah did. The first thing that he did when he was feeling down is we see him put away his, he tells his servant to wait somewhere else, though his companion, the one who went with him, and then he takes off and he isolates himself. Oftentimes when we're going through difficulty, we do isolate ourselves. We disconnect from other people. But that is not the healthiest approach nor the healthiest decision to make. I'm speaking to some of you right now who you are not doing really great through all of these lockdowns. You are struggling. But yet what you've chosen to do is restrict yourself and isolate yourself from other people that can help you in your discouragement and in your trouble and in the difficulty that you feel like no one can understand and no one can help me face it and I'm just going to do this on my own, in reality, you're actually bringing more harm to yourself because you've disconnected yourself. And I think you understand what I'm talking about here, reaching out to people, talking to people, having a video chat with somebody. I realize there's, you, you can go and, and, and uh, you know, meet up distance and talk to somebody and go for a walk. There's things that you can do, but isolating yourself is, is never the best approach. A Christian counselor said this, things in a secret garden always grow mutant. Things in a secret garden always grow mutant. I thought that was very powerful. Loneliness and despondency often go together. And we see Elijah remove himself to a place where he's all isolated. And that's where he hits the lowest point of his life maybe that he'd ever been to. Thirdly, we see God minister to Elijah spiritually though. He gave him his word. God came and he spoke the truth to Elijah. Now, I cannot diagnose uh, the discouragement that is in your life. And by the way, you may be saying, Pastor Paul, I'm, I'm doing great right now. That's great. Well, the, the moment will come for you. But those of you that are in discouragement, you may not even recognize that in yourself right now. You're just discouraged. You're down. The fact is, it's often a combination of those three things, the physical, the spiritual, 
and the psychological. Now, what we're going to see in the rest of the passage here applies to the spiritual aspects of depression and of discouragement. So I'm not going to talk any longer about uh, physical sides or, or psychological sides. I think you understand uh, the, the, the importance of it. And I think you understand the point here. You need to take time to rest. You need to be willing to not isolate yourself and be around people. But for the rest of the time this morning, I want to talk about the spiritual side of it. And whether or not you are uh, physically having some issues that have led to this, or whether you're just in a time of discouragement, or you're really, really down right now, I believe that you will find that there are some spiritual dimensions here that will help you in your moments of discouragement. So let's look at God's word to the discouraged. Let's talk about that for a moment here. God's word to the discouraged. Look with me at verse number 11. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. So this is God speaking to Elijah. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and a strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Verse 13. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood in the entering in of the cave. Imagine that you're in a cave, and outside there's an earthquake, and the wind, and all of these things that are going on, and he goes out in the edge of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophet with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, what's going on here? You say, what? man, a lot just happened here in a short amount of time. What's happening here? Well, first of all, you notice that he goes to Mount Horeb. It's also known as Mount Sinai in other places of Scripture. It's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and it's where God made that covenant with Israel. And here we see him, God, descending on this mountain with thunder and wind and earthquakes. And you got to think about it. God uh, came to that mountain in the same way when he gave the Ten Commandments. You got to think Elijah would have known that. I don't know if he was there and seeing all of this and thinking about uh, what God had done there in the past and wondering, is God going to come and speak to me in that way? And so he goes to the mouth of the cave and he sees all of the, the wind and all of this power of God being shown there. And he's expecting God to speak to him in a powerful way. But what do we see here? Instead, we see God coming to him in a still, small voice, a whisper. What, what does this mean? What is God doing here? It shows us that God's voice doesn't always come in the ways that we expect it to come. But just because God is speaking differently than we think he should doesn't mean that God is not speaking. Just because God doesn't show up in your life how you expect him to doesn't mean that he isn't working. And so in that still small voice, God speaks to Elijah. And we see in verse number 15, and the Lord said unto him, go on, thy, uh, go on, uh, sorry, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Now, that's interesting there. That's a king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abba-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Now, God just revealed to him a lot in those couple of verses there. Here's what God is saying to him. God is saying, I'm working in the life of a pagan king. I'm going to do something through a pagan king. Now, think about the implications of that for a minute. 
He's going to bring judgment to Ahab and Jezebel through a pagan king. He also tells him uh, who the next king of Israel is going to be, meaning he's going to see the end of wicked Ahab's rule. As well, he shows to him the name of the next prophet that is to come. And then God also reveals to him here in verse number 17 and 18 then that he has 7,000 secret agents that he knows nothing about. Look at verse 17. And it shall come to pass that uh, him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven. 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, 14,000 knees have not bowed the knee to Baal, and every mouth which uh, hath not kissed them. There are 7,000 people, he says, who have not turned themselves over to Baal. Here's what I want you to see. Elijah is doing what we often do, which he puts God in a box. And he says, okay, I'm assuming that God is going to work and God is going to speak to me in this specific way. And then God just blows all of that up. He doesn't come to him in the storm. He doesn't come to him in the earthquake. He comes to him in a still small voice. And when he does, he reveals to him that he is already working things out behind the scenes. But because of Elijah's limited view of God, He thought that God had let him down. He thought that uh, God was not doing what he should be doing, but God had not, in fact, let him down. God was simply working outside of Elijah's preference and outside of Elijah's expectation. In this last few verses that we just covered, I want to point out some thoughts here for us today, some practical thoughts when we find ourselves in times of discouragement that we can learn from this passage. Point number one, When we find ourselves discouraged, we need to submit to God's wisdom. We need to submit to God's wisdom. That's the key definer there. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you've maybe been through a trial or you've been through a difficulty when you clearly saw God's hand at work in the trial after the fact? So you went through a time of difficulty and then, you know, a year later or even months later, you look back and you're like, wow, God was actually uh, at work at that time. When you thought he was absent, God was actually doing a work in your life. So here's the thing. If you and I, in our limited perspective of God, can do that right now, we can look back at our life and we can see where God has done uh, some incredible things and we can look back and say, wow, God accomplished something uh, in my life through that. Don't you think, if we can view God in that way right now, don't you think that with enough time and with enough perspective that you will be able to see God working and working things out for His good, uh, for His glory and for your good in the situation you are in right now? Think about that for a minute. But it takes us submitting to God's wisdom, first of all. If we can recognize it in things in the past, with enough time and the right perspective, we can see God working in our life right now. Think about Romans 11, verse 33, where it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? We so quickly forget God's work in the past. And we're going to talk about this just a little bit more here in a few minutes. But listen, we need to trust God's wisdom in your life. Trust God's work in your life in those moments of discouragement. Secondly, I would say we need to remember God's love and grace. Remember God's love and grace. You know, when we go uh, back to the cross and we consider what Jesus did on the cross for us and how his death on the cross was the full expression of God's wrath onto sin and how Jesus bore in his body the weight of the sin of the world so that today, now don't miss this, he did that so that today we could experience 
that still small voice of the Holy Spirit working within our life, bringing us and reminding us of God's love and of his power to us. 1 Corinthians 5.21 uh, tells us that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a powerful thought there. See, Jesus took the judgment so that we could not only experience that close whisper of, uh, of closeness with God, but so that we could also call him our father. Romans 8, 5 tells us that we have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's like saying, Daddy. It's a close uh, familial term between us and God, and it's because of what Jesus did for us in the cross. See, church, just to know the grace and the love of our Heavenly Father reveals to us that God doesn't do what I think He should do. <laughs> think about that for a moment. If, if, if just thinking about the cross and the way that God went about our salvation tells us that he does not operate in the way that we would choose to operate. And so we don't have to doubt his goodness. We don't have to doubt uh, his control of our life because God's goodness was forever demonstrated at the cross. As he prayed for my and your forgiveness, as my sin drove those nails into his hands, why would I ever doubt God's love for me now in this moment? And even though I might be discouraged and I might feel depressed in the time, the fact is, is that you are not alone. The cross proved it for us. You know, as Jesus hung there on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he cried that out and he experienced the separation from God so that you and I would never have to experience separation from God. So that even in my darkest of days and my most discouraged of moments, I would never have to question whether or not God has forsaken me. It's because of what Jesus did for me. In, in Hebrews 13, verse number five, it tells us to be content because he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You may feel like you're lost. You may feel like things are out of control, but it is not. If there was ever a moment, if there was ever a moment in history where it seemed like God was out of control, it was when his son was being killed by sinful man. If, it seemed, if there was ever a moment in history where it seemed like, what in the world are you doing, God? It's when Jesus, his son, was being killed. But at the same time, the reality is this. God was never more in control than when his son was giving up his life and working out salvation's plan for us. And if an all-good, all-powerful, all-wise God is fully in charge at the cross, then he surely is in charge of your life in those deep and dark times. He, is, he knows what you are going through. And even when life is not how you expected it to be, God is still in control. He is still working. And so when we find ourselves in the depths of despair, when we feel like all is lost and it feels like God has forsaken us, you need to take heart because his grace that was revealed to us in the cross proves to us his love for us. And we need to remember when we're in those dark times, we need to remember God's love and his grace and how clearly it was demonstrated to us on the cross. God is in control of your circumstances. Thirdly, we need to confront the lies that you believe. You need to confront the lies that you believe. No, I'm not calling you a liar today, <laughs> but sometimes we do in our minds believe things that are not true. I want to just uh, go back real quickly there uh, in the passage and just remind you of how when Elijah was in those depths of despair, God came to him and Elijah responded to God a couple of different times, and he responded with some truth, but he also responded with some error. 
God asked him, why are you here? What have you been doing? And he says, uh, Elijah said, well, God, I've been zealous for you. And that is a true statement. He certainly was zealous for the Lord. He was committed. He also said that the Israelites have rejected you, God. And yes, that was true as well. He said uh, to them that, uh, well, they've killed your prophets. And yes, that was true. The Israelites had killed many prophets of God. But then he said, I am the only one left. Guess what? That was false. Sure, there was some truth there, but he also was believing some lies. He was believing something that was not true. Elijah assumed that he was the only one left. And so then God confronted him and revealed to him that there were no 7,000, in fact, people faithful to God in Israel that Elijah had no idea about. He also told him that I'm going to raise up another prophet, Elisha, who would have twice the power, as we know, the double portion of spirit that Elijah would have. And Elijah all this time thought that he was alone. This is so often how it is when we are in despair, when we are discouraged. There are certain aspects of truth that maybe we understand, but sometimes it leads us to false conclusions. It leads us to maybe believe something and it allows our discourage and our discouragement and our depression often convinces us of things that simply are not true. It can convince us, and maybe you felt this way before, all is lost. There's no reason to keep on living. Maybe your discouragement has, has, has you, and you believe the lie that, you know what, they're, they're never going to listen to me, whatever the relational issue is. My friends are never going to uh, understand. It's never going to get any better. There's nobody at all who cares about me. Even my church doesn't care about me. My pastor doesn't care about me. I've had people say that to me. I feel like you don't care about me. And, and that hurts because it's not true. And they've allowed a time of discouragement and depression to allow them to believe something that is not true. Maybe that you've believed the lie that I'll never be happy. I'll never find what it is that I'm looking for. I'm never going to uh, meet that person. I'm never, I'm never going to experience that. Maybe it's led for you to believe that people who genuinely care about you and people who genuinely love you have alternate, uh, alternate meanings or, or some sort of alternate motives behind their love for you. And we allow that discouragement and that depression to, to uh, allow us to br- believe things that are not true. And to those, I say, listen, those are false. Those are false things. And there must come a time in those moments of discouragement that you confront the lies that you are believing. Just like Elijah was confronted by God and God said, no, no, you're believing some things that are not true. In the same way, we need to allow the word of God to confront the lies that we believe. That's why it's important that we are studying and knowing the word of God. Somebody once said this, when you are believing lies, you need to confront them. You need to confront and defy them. They said, you need to defy your depressed self. Somebody else said, stop listening to the lies you're telling yourself and start preaching the truth of God over your life. Somebody else said this, take hold of yourself and preach (laughs) and preach and preach and be long-winded and it's totally okay. You are not alone today. The cross proves it. Your future is not hopeless. The resurrection declares that to us and you can have the joy of the Lord. And even if you struggle with depression and even if you struggle with sadness until your dying day, I want you today to know that you can take courage because ultimately it will be vanquished for all eternity. And you in your glorified soul will experience everlasting joy in the presence of God. We at least have that hope that we can hold on to. And so while you may never get over it, while you may struggle throughout your life, it is not 
permanent. It is not permanent, and we can praise God for that. This fallen world that we live in is difficult. It is trying, but it is not permanent. And if you're saved today and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have a hope beyond this world. And while you may not understand what you're going through right now, when we get to heaven, all of that pain and all of that suffering is going to be put into perspective and we will see the miracle of God's resurrection and the miracle of transformation that takes place when we get to heaven. But for right now, if you're believing lies, if you're struggling with that in your life, would you confront them? Would you confront them? Would you challenge them? Would you preach to yourself the truth? Maybe you need to reach out to somebody close to you to help you to see this and say, this is kind of how I'm feeling. I need a different perspective on it. And, And maybe they will help you with that. But we need to confront the lies that we believe. And then lastly, we need to return to our calling. Return to your calling. Look back at verse number 15 of 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Well, what's happening here? Well, God, the, the story here is concluding with God telling Elijah to get back to the business of being a prophet. He says, just get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing, giving the word of God, anointing rulers, uh, training up more men of God. And for us today, when we find ourselves in those moments of discouragement, depression, there is time to rest. There is time to recover. There is time to get things uh, in order and take care of things that need to be taken care of. But ultimately, we need to get back to what God has called us to do. Ultimately, that's what we need to return to. We need to return uh, to being the the dad and the, the, the mom and the husband and the wife that God has called us to be. You need to get back to being that child that honors and lifts up their parents. You need to get back to being that uh, person who is faithful in your walk with God, faithful to uh, serving in your local church. Get back to being that person who's witnessing and living out a testimony for Christ to your friends and to your coworkers. You need to get back to being that uh, honorable gospel demonstrating uh, employee there at your workplace. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 encourages us, brethren, it says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We've touched on that some on our Wednesday night series, but getting back to what God has called us to do, it is not in vain. It does make a difference. And I find in my own life, when I am discouraged, when I am down, when I am struggling, and I'm putting off responsibilities, when I'm putting off the things that God has called me to do, when I make a determined effort to get back into those things, get back to where I should be, man, it makes such a difference in my life. It encourages me so much. I think our tendency so much is to think that uh, in the past, God's work was so easy and so clear to see. But Elijah's story here shows us that he was struggling with seeing God working in in the moment as well. And for us, we need to make sure that we get back to where God wants us to be. And when we do that, what will happen is with enough time and with enough perspective, we will see how God is working in our difficult times. He is maybe speaking to you in a still small voice, but you're being so loud that you can't even hear him. You're so distracted with so many other things that you cannot see his voice. You're so distracted with your discouragement and uh, and trying to bolster that and to find reasons as to why you are that, that you're the discouraged in that moment that you're missing out on what God is trying to say. And God is trying to speak to you in his still small voice of love and of power and of grace to you today. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I talked about Charles Spurgeon before and 
Like I mentioned, he struggled with depression for most of his life, pretty much the rest of his life from that point on. Now, come to find out later on, it turns out there were some physical aspects that led to his emotional discouragement. But throughout his ministry, even though he was often depressed and often discouraged, he chose, he chose to not allow that to, um, to keep him from serving the Lord. He chose, and he says, I chose to not allow my depression to uh, make me think that it was that, that God was not involved in my life, but instead he chose to use that discouragement to trust that God had something for him through it. Here's what Spurgeon uh, did. He assumed, he said this, I assume that in my darkest times, God has given me a picture of something that is far deeper, something that is far more wonderful than the joys of just a happy and a healthy life here on earth. See, that's where we often struggle is we feel like, this is all there is to this life, you know, that this earth, is, and so we desire so badly for health, to be happy and to have health, but there's so much more to it. And that's what Spurgeon was saying. Later on, he said to his church, he said, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big statement for him to make to so many people. Then he said this, but I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. What is he doing there? He is preaching to himself. He's preaching to himself in the pulpit. So I want to ask you today, are you in a time of discouragement? Are you right now in a time of despondency, of you're depressed, there is no pit that you might find yourself in that Jesus is not able to reach you. The only thing, and this is what I want to encourage you with today, the only thing that can overcome that difficult situation that you are in, the discouragement that you find yourself in right now, is simply turning to God and to His love and to His grace. It is the power of the cross. It is the power of the resurrection that can give us heart and help us to realize that God is at work. He may not be working like you think he should. He may not be doing what you would ask of him to do, but he still is in control. And we see that and we learn that through this story from the life of Elijah the prophet. So I wonder, are you in a time of discouragement today? Are you struggling right now? I feel like you know, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the first lockdown and of church, you know, being shut down. We're coming up on that pretty quickly here. I know for me, that's been a big struggle, to be honest with you, to have what I've been doing for the last five years completely upended. The change has just been, has been difficult. And along the way, there's been some real trials and difficulties the last year or so. For many of us, just being isolated from one another, we recognize and we see how important those relationships are. And I know it's led to much discouragement with many, many people. But maybe you feel like your life particularly is out of control a little bit, and that maybe God is not in control. Can I remind you of God's control during the crucifixion? And you be reminded that, yes, God is in fact in control of your situation right now. Maybe some of you are believing some lies. You're struggling in that area. Can I encourage you to trust in God and to trust in His grace. I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer for us, and we'll have a time of reflection. 
And I ask that you would just take a moment and in the quietness of your house or wherever you're watching, that you would just simply take a moment and would you cry out to God and say, God, would you help me to trust in you in this time of discouragement? Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.